You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Today is week two of our new teaching series, Called Out. And today, really, the question we're going to be answering is, what is God calling us to? This series is really meant to explore what does it look like to be the people, not just the person, but the people, the group, the church that God is calling us to be. And so today, we're going to be diving deeper into what exactly is that calling? Because for many Christians, we use this word calling all the time, but we don't always know what it means or what we're referring to. We have a fuzzy or an unclear picture when it comes to our calling as followers of Jesus. And I believe the reason for that is because we might have an unclear picture of our calling when it comes to the gospel. Uh, For many Christians, if you were to ask them to just explain the gospel or define the gospel, that picture is really out of focus or it's fuzzy. Bill Hull and Ben Sobels in their book, The Discipleship Gospel, touch on this when they say, the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make. The gospel you preach determines the disciples that you make. And uh, another way of saying that is what you win someone with is what you win them to. And I believe for many Christians in America, uh, what we see is an incomplete version of the gospel. The gospel, so oftentimes, as you might have heard it preached, goes something like this. Believe in Jesus, go to heaven. Believe in Jesus, and you'll go to heaven. And yet James, the brother of Jesus, when he writes in the New Testament, he says, even the demons believe They know that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, they shudder in fear. And that's even a step above how many people uh, view Jesus. And so this idea of just believe in Jesus or have faith in Jesus, for many people, is is a mind-only faith or a words-only faith. Oh, yeah, I believe that sort of stuff. So now I get to go to heaven, right? And I believe that's an incomplete, not that that's untrue. We're, We're meant to believe the gospel. We're meant to actually believe certain theological truths. But there's actually more to our calling than that because there's more to the gospel message than that. And an incomplete version of the gospel actually leads to something. An incomplete gospel leads to unformed disciples. Like we said, the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make. And if we're preaching an incomplete gospel in America, it leads to unformed or immature, spiritually immature Christians. And you could just measure the tree by the fruit. So let's just look at the fruit of the American religious landscape. According to a Pew Research study, over the last decade, Christianity in America has been on the decline. In 2009, there were 51, uh, 51% of the religious landscape in, uh, in America was Protestant. And that number dropped by almost 10% to the year 2019 to 43%. And so Christians aren't being formed, at least to the point where their faith is internalized, it's their own, and disciples are then in turn making more disciples. So so we're not fulfilling that great commission. We're not out there. We're not sharing our faith with others. And then if you compare that to a a, a group that is on the rise, is called the nuns. Uh, Not the nuns like the the, the nuns who who live in an abbey. It's it's the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They're no religious affiliation people. Uh, There were 12% in 2009, and that number has jumped up over the last 10 years to 17%. 
So if, if Christianity is decreasing by about 10% over the last decade, and nuns is increasing by about 5%, it's easy to just look at the religious landscape and say, we are not fully formed as disciples. We, we don't look like Jesus. We're not on mission like Jesus would have us uh, be on mission. And then it's not just you know, looking at the raw you know, stats, but if you just look at people's lives, you know, the lives that many Christians lead look more like the culture than they do like the kingdom. You know, when divorce rates in the church are almost the same as people outside of the church, and you just look at the ethics and, and all of those kind of things, it's easy to see that the, the kind of disciples we are producing, the fruit that's coming off the tree, it is really a result of, I would say, an incomplete gospel message. And so today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be exploring the call that God has on your life the calling that God has on every single one of us. And actually there's a cost that's often left out of that calling when the gospel is preached. A a cost that's almost the fine print at the bottom of the contract. You know, in big bold letters at the top, it says words like salvation and heaven and forgiveness. But then at the bottom, it has things like taking up your cross, actually having Jesus as your Lord and obeying him with your lives. And so today, as we dive into this calling, I hope that you experience a deeper sense of God's calling on your life to follow Jesus with everything. Uh, we're going to be in a text from Luke chapter 14, a really difficult, if we're honest, teaching from Jesus. And so before we jump into our main teaching text, starting in verse 25 of Luke 14, I want to set up uh, the parable that comes right before our text, because I think it's going to help us have a little bit of balance to the tension that we're talking about. Jesus uh, in Luke 14 tells a parable called the parable of the great banquet. And basically it goes like this. There's a rich man and he's got a big house and he throws this elaborate banquet, good food. You know, you want to go to this banquet and he sends out the invitations. But then every single invitation he sends out keeps getting declined. So his friends don't want to come to his party, and they have all these different lame excuses. One friend says, well, I just bought a field. Another one says, I just bought some oxen. Another one you know, says, I just got married, and I can't come, right? And so they keep declining the offer to join in to the party. And so then what this, this uh, host does is he tells his servant, now go out and, and invite anyone that you find. This is, what, uh, this is how the parable ends in Luke 14, verse 23. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So in this story, what we really see is this beautiful uh, gospel of the kingdom where Jesus is really the host. He's the master and he is inviting people into the kingdom of heaven. And really, he's, he's speaking, directing this teaching to the Jews. They were God's initial chosen people. And so they should have been the first ones to respond to the Messiah being in their midst, to Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God. And yet, so many Jews rejected Jesus. And so that's when Jesus is making this point clear that the kingdom of heaven is not just for the Jews. It's actually for everyone. And that's good news for you and good news for me. Here's the point. The kingdom of heaven is an open invite. It's an open invite. It's an open invitation. There is always more room at the party. There's a spot saved for you. And I would just invite you today, if you've never responded in faith, with faith in Jesus, that today can be the day that you pray and you ask God to forgive your sins and lead your life, that you respond to the good news of the gospel, you believe in 
Jesus, and, and you are welcomed into the party. You are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. But today, before maybe you do that, I would also caution you that it's not just as simple as agreeing to a list of facts or theological truths. And I think that's why the parable of the great banquet is placed immediately before the teaching that we're going to go through from Jesus today, where Jesus doesn't just talk about this open invitation. Jesus talks about the cost associated with following him. Let's continue through our text in Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes after me, uh, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What in the world is going on here? I mean, we read this one and we, we just want to go back to the previous teaching and say, let's just, let's just stick with the party. Let's just talk about the open invite. But it's really important that we wrestle with these difficult teachings of Jesus. Jesus is talking about the cost associated with being a disciple, with following him. And he's using a hyperbolic language. So startling statements like you have to hate your family or you can't be my disciples. And so we, we just need to pause and kind of address that for a moment because it's really important, especially when we read startling statements or unclear statements in scripture, that we weigh them against other teachings in scripture. So let's just weigh Jesus's teaching uh, on you should hate your family and ask the question, does he, does he mean that? Does he just flat out mean you need to hate your spouse, you need to hate your kids, or you need to hate yourself? So let's balance that for just a moment. So Jesus also teaches uh, and affirms one of the Ten Commandments. We must honor our father and mother. Jesus himself went as far as when he was hanging on the cross. He told the Apostle John uh, that John was to behold his mother and take care of uh, Mother Mary even after Jesus was gone. So, so Jesus likes parents. He wants us to love and honor and care about our parents. Uh, what about children? Uh, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And he taught us, unless we are like a child, we can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, some of his most difficult and harsh rebukes, some of the most harsh words Jesus taught were actually directed towards people who would harm innocent children. So of course, Jesus loves children. He's not saying you need to hate your children. And then what about yourself? Is he, is he telling you that you should have poor self-worth or, or, or a bad identity? Well, Jesus, again, one of the great commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so does Jesus mean you literally need to hate all your family members? No, that's not what he means at all. So what does this teaching actually mean? Well, the Greek word for hate is meseo, and it literally means to hate or to detest, right? So we can't just say, oh, that's a bad translation. What are some other possibilities? The word means to hate, but Jesus is using that word comparatively. It's a comparison, and you see another uh, time this is used that way in Romans 9.13, where it says, Jacob I loved, God, God is referring, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Well, God doesn't actually hate Esau, but comparatively, he definitely favors Jacob. Uh, Bible scholar Daryl Bach helps us out and, and clarifies this a little bit when he says this. In comparison to Jesus, if we are forced to choose, the winner in that choice must be Jesus. The winner in that choice must be Jesus. And for many of us, we're not going to have to choose. You're not going to have to choose between loving your spouse and loving God. You're not going to have to choose between loving your kids, loving your friends, loving yourself, and loving 
God. But I've known someone who had to make that choice. Uh, years ago, we had a Muslim student who attended our youth ministry. And he came for a little while, and he ended up receiving and hearing the good news of the gospel. And he made a decision to put his faith and his trust in Jesus. But what that meant is he was then disowned by his family. I think one of the statements that sticks out to me is one of his parents told him that he was dead to them. So that student was in a position where he was forced to choose, and he chose Jesus over his own family. And for many of the original audience, they would have to make these kinds of decisions. See, in the early centuries of the church, there was an incredible amount of external pressure and persecution. And so if you were from a strong Jewish family, it's not that different from being from a strong Muslim family today, where uh, your parents might disown you, right? Or even persecution from the Roman Empire, right? You might, you might be putting your family at danger if you made a decision or profession of faith. And so even though we might not face the exact same situations, what we need to understand is the point is really clear. Our allegiance to Jesus is always number one. It comes above any other human relationship that we find. And so the point for us is this. The cost of discipleship is great. That's really what Jesus is saying. The cost of following him, being a a, a disciple or a learner is great. And this is affirmed by the second thing that Jesus says here, which is not just you you have to hate all these other relationships in comparison. He says we must bear our cross, take up our cross, and follow him. And this is what would happen to criminals who were executed with crucifixion, is they would have to, like Jesus did, although Jesus was not a criminal, he was innocent, they would have to carry the, the beam of the cross to their place of execution. And there were two aspects of that. One is it was humiliating. Right? As if being executed for a crime wasn't humiliating enough in a public fashion, you'd have to walk through the streets and people would see you. So there's a humiliation. And then there's also just a deep suffering and sacrifice that's involved in that. And so what Jesus is doing is he's being a lot more upfront about the cost of discipleship than we are in the church. He's not going to pull a bait and switch on us where he says the kingdom of heaven is open for all and once you decide to follow him then he tells you oh by the way you're gonna have to bear your cross he tells it to us straight up and and likewise for many christians in the early church they would end up paying the ultimate sacrifice the ultimate price in becoming a martyr dying for their faith Uh, the apostle john uh, is thought to be the only one out of the 12 apostles who did not die as a martyr. He died of natural causes and he lived to an old age. The rest of them died because they were witnessing for their faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a phenomenal book about this idea called The Cost of Discipleship. And he talks about the costly grace that, that is the, the true kind of grace we experience. And then kind of this cheap grace or what we're calling an incomplete gospel right? It's kind of God has this, this, this credit card with no maximum spending limit. And he just gives it to us and it's free and it's magic and it's whatever. But the reality is our forgiveness is paid for with the costly price of Jesus Christ's death on a cross in our place. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaking and referring to the call, he says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the call of following Jesus. Take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. And so we, 
may not face that situation. We may not face a situation where we, we die for our faith or we're martyred. And I, and I don't think it's helpful to even pretend that we will, right? You know, in America, America is becoming increasingly post-Christian, but it's not nearly what it's like in some parts of the world that are, that are hostile and there's persecution. And I don't think it's helpful for us to pretend that we're being persecuted when we're not. And yet, we all have to be able to wrestle with that idea that we must die to ourselves, we must die to, to our own will, our own desires, so that we can say yes to God. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, says it like this. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. Or how we've said it before is, is Jesus doesn't just want a piece of your life. He wants the whole thing. He wants the whole thing. Or even our vision statement as a church is following Jesus with everything. Not just following Jesus with parts or aspects of your life, following Jesus with everything. And Jesus further explains this teaching and this idea to us with two short illustrations. So let's look at those illustrations in Luke 14, verse 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So, so this, is, this is really an accessible uh, metaphor for us. You get this, maybe you've done a building project, right? It's important before you start a renovation or a building project uh, to actually calculate how much money is this going to cost? Do I have enough time to complete it? Is it doable? You know, to, to actually do that. This is really pertinent for us as a church because we are in a substantial building renovation. We're, we're, we're right on the edge of, of entering into phase two, which is the roof. So I want to show you a short clip. Uh, the roof, maybe you've been able to, to drive by uh, recently the church building, but you can see the roof is getting ripped off and it's going to be substantial. We're, we're redoing the entire roof. We're doing structural repairs. We're doing all that sort of stuff. So imagine if we got done with the demo and we ripped all these holes in the roof and you took the shingles off and we, we took the plywood off and then we didn't count the cost first. We didn't get quotes. We didn't see if our fundraising was shored up. We, we, we didn't figure that stuff out and we just stopped. What would happen? It would be humiliating, right? It would be so embarrassing. That's one of Jesus' points. Is it's so incredibly embarrassing. That's, uh, that tower that you only get halfway built is a monument to your humiliation. But there's not only a humiliation factor, there's also a safety factor, right? It wouldn't be safe if we had a half-built roof. And it's not safe if you have a half-built tower. Uh, just a side note, by the way, is if you haven't been involved in our Next 110 fundraising campaign, we would invite you to do so because we don't want to get to that point where we run out of funding. We want to keep uh, finishing off all of these projects, finishing off our phase one, moving to phase two, and, and, and finishing off the renovation completely. So I encourage you, if you have not checked out any of our videos or our Next 110 information, go to www.hillcityboise.org merge. You can find out more about that. But this idea of humiliation, shame, and even safety, that, it, that it's not safe, we're setting ourselves up for a collapse, is really important for us to understand in our lives. For someone who maybe you know, says they're a follower of Jesus and maybe they, they, they don't actually live out their faith, that there's going to be shame on the day of judgment when Jesus returns. And, and all things that we've done, we've said, we've thought, those things will be made known to all. And then even this idea of a collapse, Jesus tells another story in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, of a wise man and a foolish man. They each build a house. 
The wise man builds his house on a solid foundation, on a rock. The foolish man builds his house on the sand, which is a lot easier, a lot more. You, you can just stick the post right in the ground. But then what happens if you know the story? The storm comes, and the foolish man's house collapses, and the wise man's house stands. What's the difference between those two men? According to Jesus, they both heard his teachings. They both were familiar with the teachings of Jesus, but only one actually followed them. Only one actually obeyed them. And for us, that's why it's so significant. This cost to follow Jesus means we actually follow him. We don't just say with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. We, we say it with our lives. We actually follow Jesus. So I would ask you this question. What kind of life are you building? What kind of life are you building? Is Jesus the foundation? Is he the center of your life? Or does he just have a piece of the pie? And if he doesn't, I would just challenge you. The only way that we can live a life where we'll be unshakable in the face of storms is when we actually build our lives on the foundation with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And what that ultimately means is it means we obey him. We follow him and we give our whole lives to him. We need to count the cost. And then Jesus goes on and he gives a second illustration for us in Luke 14, verse 31. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, this is a really helpful illustration, but it's a little less accessible. Many of us have done building projects, even house projects, right? But few of us have been in a situation where we've sent troops, troops off to war. And yet it's really illustrating the same exact principle. We need to sit down first and deliberate. We need to count the cost. Can we actually do what we're trying to do? Uh, it's all about our resources and really our lack of resources on our own. Uh, and for us, the second one actually even teaches us about what it means to be in a relationship with God. See, Jesus, I believe, is the king. And if we don't have peace with him, what it means is we're actually opposing him. Here's the point. We either enter into peace with God or stand against him. We enter into peace with God or stand against him. And I think for us in our lives, if, if we live in that place where we're standing against God, we're overestimating our own strength. We're overestimating our own righteousness. For so many people in the world, they kind of count on their own good deeds. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a generally nice person. I, I've never killed anyone, right? They, they say those kind of things. You're overestimating the strength of your own ability to save yourself. You can't save yourself. And you'll find yourself standing against the God of the universe. But instead of that, what we have the opportunity to do is we have the opportunity to appeal to God for a clean conscience. And just to say to God, I, I don't want to be at war with you. I don't want to be at odds with you. I want peace. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the king who not only offers us peace, he's the king who got off of his horse and he, he took our place on the cross. And he washed our feet and he loved us and he walked among us. Jesus is the king who paid the price so that we could have peace with God. And that's what we have. We've been adopted into God's family. And so stop, I would just say this to you, stop overestimating your own power, your own strength, your own resources, and, and just surrender to Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. We don't have 
Uh, we don't have the, the funding to pay to build our own tower. We don't have the strength to win a battle against God. And so it's up to us to just surrender, to surrender and accept the terms of peace that God offers to you. And so what God is offering to you is that if you would put your faith in Jesus, and, and that's, that, that is a confession with your mouth, that Jesus is the Lord. Uh, it, it's repenting, praying, and asking God to forgive your sins and lead your life. But it's actually also a commitment to follow Jesus with the rest of your life. Then you will be saved. You will be saved. And that's the grace that God offers to you. So I would encourage you, if you've never been baptized as a response of committing your life to Jesus, that you would check out our website, hillcityboise.org baptism. And then if you've never put your faith in Jesus, today can be the day of salvation for you. So here's the point from our teaching today. The cost of discipleship is great, but the value is even greater. The value is even greater. The cost, the calling that Jesus has on us, it has an incredible cost associated with it. But the value is even greater because of what is on offer by Jesus. In Matthew 16, 25, and 26, it's a similar teaching as the one we looked at today, where Jesus says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, this is the great paradox of the gospel, that if we try on our own power, our own strength, our own resources to save our lives, to earn our own way in this world, at the end, we'll actually lose everything we have. Everything that we would have built and worked towards in this life will be lost. It will be counted as lost. But the great paradox of the gospel is that we find true life by giving your life to Jesus. We find true life by giving our lives to Jesus. And, and so for, for you today, I would just encourage you with that. That when we give our life away to Jesus and we pay the cost of saying yes and following him, what happens is that's actually when we find our true life, eternal life, that, that what can a man give in exchange for your soul? And even if you somehow had all the riches in the world, you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul, I want you to wrestle with that question, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it? And for us, we're, we're talking about cost and profit and loss. And for me, I want to give my life to the only one who can actually give it back to me. So today's teaching also raises another question. And it's a question of, you know, what is the standard in which it takes to actually follow Jesus? We, we might be tempted to ask the question, I mean, who could do that? Who could actually, you know, renounce their, their life or give it all for Jesus? Is he demanding, you know, become a perfect person and then you can follow me? And, and so we just have to clarify this and say, we don't have what it takes on our own. And that's one of the points. We don't have the resources. We don't have the strength on our own uh, to follow Jesus. But that's not exactly what, what Jesus' point is. He's not saying, get your act together, become perfect, clean up yourself, and then you can follow me. Here's the point for us. You don't have to be fully formed to follow Jesus. You just have to be fully committed. You don't have to be fully formed, like we've talked about, right? Uh, fully spiritually mature to follow Jesus. You just have to be fully committed. And this is what we see, right? Look at the, look at the apostles, you had fishermen and tax collectors. The reason why they're, they're doing those other trades is because they weren't accepted by any other rabbis. You know, they weren't smart enough. They didn't make the cut. And so they're, they're, they're just doing the family business. And so Jesus takes ordinary untrained men and he uses them to change the world. Or look at the women that followed Jesus. You know, those great women of faith that we talked about 
last week who were financially supporting Jesus's ministry. Well, who were they before they found Jesus? They were demon-possessed. They had afflictions, right? And so, and so you know, like if, if Jesus can use those women and those men to actually bring into his kingdom and use to change the world, then he can use you. Wherever you are at, he can use you. Daryl Bach, once again, puts it like this. He says, Jesus calls us into a relationship, not just a decision. That's so good. He calls us into a relationship, not just a decision. As a learner, a disciple enters into a relationship with Jesus and joins a lifetime journey of learning. That Greek word for disciple, mathetes, it can mean uh, an apprentice or really a learner. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. To answer our question, what is God's calling on us? It's a lifetime of discipleship. It's a lifetime of discipleship. It's okay that you're not fully formed yet. It's okay that you're not all the way there yet. Yet, Yes, the calling and the cost is high, but also Jesus' grace and his mercy for you is even greater. And so what that means is he's inviting you, not just to a one-time decision. Yeah, I'll be a Christian, right? He's inviting you to commit to a relationship with him, to be present with him in your life, and then to commit to a lifetime of following him and being shaped by his word, being shaped and being committed to following his teachings. And so this week, my challenge for you is what is the next step for you in your journey with Jesus? What is the next step? Maybe there are things in your life right now that you need to deny. You need to say no to. There are sins, temptations, ways that you haven't fully handed over that allegiance to Jesus. I would call you this week to say no to those things, to repent and to turn towards God. Maybe the Holy Spirit this week is going to lead you not in a negative sense away from things, but towards things, towards calling and mission and purpose. And this week is the week that the Holy Spirit is going to move you to love someone or serve someone or share your faith with someone. I'll say be obedient to wherever the Spirit calls you this week. Or maybe this week or maybe even today is the day that you for that, take that first step, that initial step of putting your faith in Jesus. And I would call you, yes, the cost is great. But the value and the life, the eternal life that God is offering you is even greater. I can't promise you that following Jesus is going to be easy, but I can promise you it's going to be worth it. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.